0: Hi, welcome to Fitch's Global Economic Outlook podcast for October 2017. I'm James McCormack, head of the Sovereign Team, and I'm here with Brian Colton, Fitch's Chief Economist. In this episode, we're going to focus on growth in the Eurozone, what it means for the European Central Bank, and then broaden the policy discussion out to include other central banks. So, Brian, let's start with the Eurozone. And one of the striking points really made in the press release that accompanies the GEO this time out is the fact that growth in the eurozone is the strongest in, in a decade. So can you give us a little descriptive analysis of, of eurozone growth? Like what are the factors behind that and how broad based is it?
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are two, uh, two elements to emphasize. The first is on the domestic demand front. We have, uh, we have the benefit of policy support, uh, obviously exceptionally easy monetary policy. We also think fiscal policy is, is helping uh, growth at the margin. Um, And we have tightening labour markets. Um, And that's improving job security and that's helping the the consumer. And the consumer has been quite a big surprise over the last 12 months. I was just looking back at our geo forecast from a year ago and we were saying that eurozone growth uh, had had peaked at that point uh, because we saw the consumer starting to to, to fade away as headline inflation rose uh, and the benefits of low oil prices uh, dropped out of the calculation for, for CPI. Nominal wage growth wasn't going to, going to recover, real wages would be squeezed. Well, real wages have been squeezed, but the consumer has remained pretty, uh, pr- pretty buoyant. And we think that's partly down to policy, partly down, probably more, more so down to labour markets getting increasingly, increasingly tight. So that's on the consumer side that that's been strong. But what we're also seeing more clearly uh, now is that there's a, there's, a, there's a fairly decent investment cycle as well now uh, emerging in, in the eurozone. Particularly on the construction side, and particularly dwellings, uh, residential investment. Uh, the, the poster child for that is Germany, where n- really conditions now uh, nothing short of a, an outright construction boom in in Germany. Very strong, very strong numbers for uh, for both residential and increasingly non-residential investment as well. But 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 the forefront of that has, has been has been residential, and we think that's evidence of, of monetary policy working. So domestic demand is solid, but what? I think is has been the has been the change in terms of you know why a zero eurozone growth on a year-on-year basis picked up this year versus last year has actually been on the external side. We've actually seen a turnaround in the contribution of net trades to growth. It's become positive in Q1 and Q2 of this year. Uh, we've seen a big pick up in export growth. Uh, quite a bit of that explained by emerging markets, actually China and, and Russia uh, and some of the other EM commodity producers, and that's what's pushed pushed growth up uh, uh, in 2017, and we, we now. I think we're going to have 2.2%, which is the fastest since 2007. So it's it's a fairly broad story across the domestic demand and trade net trade front. But it's also a broad based story across countries uh, and across different industries. So we've got a convergence here that we haven't seen for quite a while in terms of Eurozone growth.
0: And I guess part of the, it it sounds like a self-sustainable or self-sustaining kind of growth story as well. Maybe we can pick up on, on that theme and what a self-sustainable growth story might mean for, for policymakers particularly the ECB. Yeah,
1: and no, that's a good point because M- Mario Draghi uh, in terms of you know when he's been asked about you know h- how can you continue to justify uh, asset purchases and and um, uh, expanding the balance sheet. One of the constant refrains we've heard from him in recent meetings uh, over the last 6-9 months uh, has been that the recovery that he is seeing in the eurozone is very much dependent on monetary stimulus and therefore it would be too risky to take that stimulus away um, because a recovery could could peter out. Uh, I think that argument's becoming less and less convincing as the recovery becomes stronger, as it becomes, uh, as it becomes wider and more broadly based, and as some of the negative external risks that you know were at issue in, in 2015 have, have clearly gone away. And there's, there's upside risks now probably coming from the external side. So I think that is going to change the uh change the debate within within the ECB and the and the governing council. I think we will see uh in, you know increasing confidence that core inflation which has edged up to 1.3% now uh will continue to rise as output gaps close. Germany's probably got a positive output gap already. Unemployment rates come down. You know the the latest reading for eurozone wage inflation actually showed a a slight uptick in, in wage inflation. So I think they're going to get increasingly confident that uh, they've they've probably done, uh, you know, that they're, they're doing enough to set inflation on a, on a solidly gradually in, in, improving path. And that we think is going to be enough to uh, persuade them to scale down the pace of asset purchases from February of next year from sixty billion, uh, they're going to reduce it by ten billion a month. We think uh, at that point, phase it out
0: completely by by the middle uh, by the middle of next year. And that's a view of ours that hasn't changed, despite the stronger growth numbers, right?
1: The, the view hasn't the view hasn't changed. I guess we've become a bit more confident in that view than, than maybe we were in, in the last year. It was a little bit of a punt. It was maybe a, maybe a fairly hawkish view to take at that point. I think I think we feel that the data has kind of grown grown
0: into that view. Okay. Um, Staying in Europe but outside the eurozone, one of the countries that isn't really seeing an uptick in growth, at least in terms of our forecasts uh, projections for next year, is the UK. And yet we hear increasing sort of market commentary potentially about the the Bank of England moving rates. So how do we uh, you know how do we think about that? What's our call there?
1: Well, on the growth front, we uh, we haven't really changed our view. We still th- we still see one point five percent growth uh, this this year. Uh, the story so far in 2017 has been the story of a of a consumer slowdown uh because of the squeeze in real wages you know the the big push up in headline inflation and nominal wages have have stayed uh, uh you know continued to grow at at a steady rate of about of about 2% uh that's that's that squeezed real incomes and that you know we we've seen that uh, quite clearly in the numbers and it comes against a backdrop of fairly sluggish business investment, slightly better after the recent revisions than we previously thought, but still, still pretty sluggish. You know, we actually think that you know maybe the worst could be over for the consumer quite soon, um, but uh, on the investment side, we, th- we think there's there's more chance that it will deteriorate going forward because of the Brexit uncertainties. So pretty subdued viewed for view f- for growth, but uh, Bank of is in a bit of a dilemma because inflation is well above above the target. And um, it, it comes against the context of unemployment's not been this low since early 1975. So we have a very tight labour market, whichever way you look at it. And w- when you look at the Bank of England's remit, their job is to bring inflation back to target without doing too much damage to to, to, the, to the job market uh, in, in the process of bringing inflation back to target. Well, it's quite hard to argue that that's a consideration at all at the moment when unemployment is so low. And I think that means... The bank's tolerance for above-target inflation has has been reduced. Now, do you think a stronger pound might do a little bit of the work for them? It's possible, but I just think they're going to be increasingly nervous given where this unemployment rate is, ab- about such a high inflation rate. Yeah, you know, we, we we've been arguing for for several editions of the Geo now that that UK rates would have to rise because of the because of the inflation issue in, in 2018. Now, recently the bank have been making noises that you know, suggest that, that that they are also coming around to the view that rates have to go up quite soon. We are a bit more pessimistic than the bank on the growth outlook, and so we think it's probably going to be a 2018 story. Not, not a, I don't think it's going to be in the November meeting. Could be, could be wrong about that. And Carney's been on the wires again today, um, sounding quite hawkish. But we think they'll probably delay until 2018. The MPC the, the vote last time was, it was only seven, it was seven two in favour of no change. So it's quite a lot of work to be done to. Yeah. to shift that, that balance on the committee. But we do think rates will go up, will go up in, t- in 2018, probably the first half now rather than the second half, which had previously been our view.
0: Okay, and we'll finish with uh, the Fed, where we have not changed our view, but the market seems to be gravitating towards that view. Um, what's behind that change in the market view, do you think, and how important is it?
1: I guess the change in the market view on the Fed and, and what we have now is uh, I think the latest, latest reading was a sort of 70-plus percent chance of, a, of another rate hike in December. You know that was down below fifty percent. You know, just just a few weeks ago, I think there's two things behind that. One there's a bit more optimism now that we get some fiscal easing next year in the U.S. with the with the tax proposals that have been put on the table. It seems to be a bit more coherence and a bit more agreement on that front amongst the Republicans than maybe there was over the over the healthcare reforms. Um, so that's sort of back on the table as far as the market's looking at it. The other aspect I think is that it's become increasingly clear from. Janet Yellen's recent comments that the, the Fed are kind of dismissing the recent decline in inflation as something that they should react to. They're putting a lot of it down to special factors. You know, We has big declines, big one-off, what looked like one-off price declines in mobile phone charges recently. Uh, they're saying that's a price level shock. It's not going to be, you know, you're not going to get such a big fall on an ongoing basis. Uh, but there's a more general view that uh, that, that you know, the, the Fed needs to normalize, and, and you know, small movements in inflation, you know, you know, down by quarter half percent, is not really such a big deal in terms of that that need to normalize. And this is consistent with something that we've said for a while, which is uh, that the Fed has kind of become less data dependent, and uh, and you know, we, we always had the view that they would raise again in December, uh, and we think pursue see rate rises, three or three or four hikes a year over the next couple of years, that this normalization to some extent is is on a bit of a preset course. I know Janet Yellen, every meeting she says monetary policy is not on a preset course, but it's on more of a preset course now than I think it's been for a while.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you for joining us today. The next podcast in this series will be in December.